Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chilling with Teddy G, where you know here we discuss anything and everything with absolutely no sugar and no problem. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, all our news stories and commentary are served up to you raw. So sit back for the next few minutes with your favorite cup of coffee, tea, or latte, whichever you prefer, and let me into your homes, the cars, or workplaces for the next few minutes. My name is Ted Grill, and I'm your host on Chilling with Teddy G. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me for another episode of Chilling with Teddy G, where today's topic is going to be in your opinion, where we ask individuals just like you, your opinion on subjects and matters that are important to you. Today, we're going to be asking uh, Trevor North. I'm sure you know him. He has a very successful television program. And... Uh, I've asked him this very, uh, 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 in his opinion, what does he think about today's situation? And this, here's what uh, Trevor had to say. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, you know, what's really interesting about what's happening in America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect, how one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece, and in the end creates a giant wave. Each story seems completely unrelated, and yet at the same time, I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way, shape, or form. And I think this news, this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that. Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and you know the people of Minneapolis. Amy Cooper was, for many people, I think, the catalyst. And by the way, I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus. You know, people stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every, anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curb. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside, all of us as society, we're stuck inside. And we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world. And I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you have this woman who, we've all seen the video now, blatantly, blatantly knew how to use the power of, of, of her whiteness to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling, you know, it tells you how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him. It's, it was, it was really, it was, it was, it was powerful. Cause so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they said, and yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, Oh, I know 
I know that you're, you're afraid of in, interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness. I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that was, that was the first domino. And so now you, you're living in a world where so many people are watching this video. So many people are being triggered because in many ways it was like a, it was like a gotcha. You know, it was like a, it was like, it was like the curtain had been pulled back. Aha. So you do this because it's always been spoken about, but this was like, it was powerful to see it being used. And I think a lot of people were triggered by that. A lot of people, a lot of people were like, damn, we, we knew it was real, but this is like real, real, you know? I think a lot of people also angry that some of the outrage that came to her was because of her dog. Uh, and I mean, I get it, you know, but, but it was, it was, a lot of people felt like, a lot of people felt like it would have been great if the dog shelters had the same, I guess, power or, or, or if police departments were run by the people who run dog shelters, because they seem to act like this. They didn't waste time. They were like, nope, we'd like our dog back lady which I'm going to be honest, I think was, that was a, that was a, I mean, that was a hell of a punishment. Her job is one thing, taking a white lady's dog. That was a nice dog. And so that was the first domino, you know, it was the first domino where I felt like you could feel something stirring. And all of this again is in the backdrop, backdrop. It's, it's coronavirus has happened. The numbers have come out, you know, the story of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, that story has come up. All of these things are happening. And then the video of George Floyd comes out. And I don't know what made that video more painful for people to watch. The fact that that man was having his life taken in front of our eyes. The fact that we're watching someone being murdered by someone whose job is to protect and serve. Or the fact that he seemed so calm doing it, you know? Oftentimes we always told that police feared for their life. It was like a threat. And, and you know, you, you, you always feel like an asshole when, when you're like, you didn't fear for your life. How, why did you fear for your life? How did you fear? But now more and more, we're starting to see that it's like, no, it doesn't seem like there's a fear. It just seems like it's, you can do it. So you did it. There was a black man on the ground in handcuffs and you, you could take his life. So you did almost knowing that there would be no ramifications. And then again, everyone on the internet has to watch this. Everyone sees it. It's, it floods our timelines as people. And, and I think one ray of sunshine for me in that moment was seeing how many people instantly condemned what they saw. You know, and maybe it's because I'm an optimistic person, but I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, especially not in America. I haven't seen a police video come out and and just see across the board. I mean, even Fox News commentators and, and police chiefs from around the country immediately condemning what they saw. No questions, not what was he doing, not just going, no, this, what happened here was wrong. It was wrong. This person got murdered on camera. And then the police were fired, great. But I, I think what people take for granted is, is, is how much for so many people that feels like nothing, you know? How, how, how many of us as, as human beings can take the life of another human being and then have firing be the worst thing that happens to us? And yes, we don't know where the case will go, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, it feels like there is no moment of justice. There is no, you know, if you're watching a movie, you'd at least want the cops, you'd want to see the perpetrators in handcuffs. You'd want to see the perpetrators facing some sort of justice. Yes, they might come out on bail, etc. But I think there's a lot of catharsis that comes with seeing that justice being doled out. When the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not, this is not how our society is built. And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay, society, 
what, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Why, like, why don't we all loot? Why, why don't, why doesn't everybody take, why don't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have, there's so many people, there are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still think about how many people who don't have the have nots say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules, even though I have nothing, because I still wish for the society to work and exist. And I'm in total compliance with you, uh, Trevor, especially since you're supposed to be moral, upright, standing citizens. And let's not forget the uh, religious aspects of it where it says, uh, thou should not steal. So this is a, all of this is a part of this moral contract that we sign because we're human beings. So when we're born, I mean, we're giving this, uh, uh, this contract under, uh, wherever place that you may happen to be living at. And I know y'all say, yeah, anywhere in the world. Yeah. But everywhere in the world, I think their social contracts are, are, uh, or their society contracts are different, but here in the U uh, S everybody knows, uh, the contract that they're signed they're supposed to be taught this by their parents they're supposed to be taught this by their teachers they're supposed to be uh, uh, taught this through life experiences but as we see that there are a lot of people who are not honoring this contract because of uh of because of their personal feelings because they rather believe in in uh, whiteness they re they rather believe in white nationalism they rather believe in racism they rather believe in 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 harm and mayhem to people who they think are lower than they are those guys are beneath us and if you look at that that's actually holds some truth because when you go when you go into the military, you're the lowest of the low. You've seen what the drill sergeants do and say to you when you're in the military. Same thing when you go to the police academy. You're the lowest of the low when you go in there. You're a rookie. So uh, officers who have been in the police force longer than you, they treat you to the low. I just got through listening to Sergeant Dorsey, who has a, a podcast show on YouTube, as well as um, other uh, um, media outlets that she speaks from, and she talked about this very thing. And this, this list goes on and on. It's the same thing for the uh, fire department. They call you a probie. You're beneath us. You wash the dishes. You wash the, the fire trucks. You roll up the hoses. So they take this very concept, ladies and gentlemen, and they roll it out into uh, society, into their feelings. That I'm a police officer, you're not, so I'm above you. I can do this to you, and you can't do anything about it because I'm a police officer, because I'm above you. Okay, well, if you're above me, then as far as uh, uh, Teddy G is concerned, you should be held at a higher standard. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, uh, Norton. I know. Trevor, excuse me. Let me let you get back to your commentary. And then some members of that society, namely black American people, 
watch time and time again how the contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by the society that has forced them to sign it with them. When you watch Ahmad Arbery being shot and you hear that those men have been released and were it not for the video and the outrage, those people would be living their lives. What part of the contract is that in society? When, when you see George Floyd on the ground and you see a man losing his life in a way that no person should ever have to lose their life at the hands of someone who's supposed to enforce the law, what part of the contract is that? And a lot of people say, well, what good does this do? Yeah, but what, what good doesn't it do? That's the question people don't ask the other way around. What good does it do to loot Target? What is it, how does it help you to loot Target? Yeah, but how does it help you to not loot Target? Answer that question. Because the only reason you didn't loot Target before was because you were upholding society's contract. There is no contract if law and people in power don't uphold their end of it. And that's the thing I think people don't understand sometimes is that is that we need people at the top to be the most accountable because they are the ones who are basically setting the tone and the tenor for everything that we do in society. It's the same way we tell parents to set an example for their kids, the same way we tell captains or coaches to set an example for their players, the same way you tell teachers to set an example for their students. The reason we do that is because we understand in society that if you lead by example, there is a good chance that people will follow that example that you have set. And so if the example law enforcement is setting is that they do not adhere to the laws, then why should the citizens of that society adhere to the laws when in fact the law enforcers themselves don't? There's a, there's a really fantastic chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, where he talks about the principles. What is it? It's, he talks about the principles, the principles of legitimacy. And he says, in order for us to argue that any society or any, any legal body or any power is legitimate. We have to agree on core principles. And those three principles, if I remember correctly, is number one, we have to agree on what the principles are. Number two, we have to believe that the people who are enforcing the principles are gonna enforce them fairly. And number three, we have to agree that everyone in that society is going to be treated fairly according to those principles. It is safe to say in this one week alone, and maybe even from the beginning of coronavirus really blowing out in America, black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Because if you're a black person in America right now and you're watching this, if you're a black American person specifically and you're watching this, what principles are you seeing? I think sometimes the thing we need to remember and it's something I haven't remembered my whole life. I, like it's, you, you, you start to learn these things, you know, when, when, you, when you travel the world, when you read, when you learn about society, I think is that like, when you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say, this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King had children as part of his protests in Birmingham, Alabama, people said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, people said this is not the right way to do things. When people marched through the streets in South Africa during apartheid, they said this is not the right way to do things. When people burn things, they say it's not the it's never the right way because there's never there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before, there is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against a thing that is stopping you. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is the same way you might have experienced even more anger and, and more just visceral disdain watching those people loot that target. Think to yourselves, 
or maybe it would help you if you, if you think about that, that, that unease that you felt watching that target being looted. Try to imagine how it must feel for black Americans when they watch themselves being looted every single day. Because that's fundamentally what's happening in America. Police in America are looting black bodies. And I know someone might think that's an extreme phrase, but it's not because here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. George Floyd died. That is part of the reason the story became so big is because he died. But how many George Floyds are there that don't die? How many men are having knees put on their necks? How many Sandra Blands are out there being tossed around? We don't, we don't, it doesn't make the news because it's, it's not grim enough. It doesn't even get us enough anymore. It's only the deaths, the gruesome deaths that stick out. But imagine to yourself, if you grew up in a community where every day someone had their, 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 their knee on your neck, where every day somebody was out there oppressing you every single day, you tell me what that does to you as a society, as a community, as a group of people. And when you know that this is happening because of the color of your skin, not because the people are saying it's happening because of the color of your skin, but rather because it's only happening to you and you are the only people who have that skin color. And I know there's people who say, yeah, but like, well, how come black, black people don't care when black people kill them? Man, it's one of the dumbest arguments ever. Of course they care. If you've ever been to a hood anywhere, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, you'd know how much black people care about that. If you know anything about under-policing and over-policing, though, you would understand how that comes to be. The police show black people how valuable their lives are considered by the society. And so then those people who live in those communities know how to or not deal with those lives. Because best believe, if you kill a white person, especially in America, there is a whole lot more justice than is coming your way than if you killed some black body in a black neighborhood somewhere. And so to anyone who watched that video, don't, don't ask yourself if it's right or wrong to loot. So don't ask yourself, wow, what does looting help? No, no, no. Ask yourself, that, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why it got you that much more watching, watching these people loot because they were destroying the contract that you thought they had signed with your society. And now think to yourself, imagine if you were them watching that contract being ripped up every single day. Ask yourself how you'd feel. Thank you so much, Trevor, for that. We truly do appreciate it. And uh, uh, actually, it was uh, much needed because of uh, the things that we face in uh, society. Your point of view was uh, well taken. It was well on point, And uh, it was uh, well received. But I have uh, a, a special, ladies and gentlemen, in your opinion, that came from an interview on The Breakfast Club between uh, uh, The Breakfast Club and uh, Rush Limbaugh. I almost forget his name. You know, I always like to, because if anybody who knows Rush Limbaugh, they know that he is uh, he doesn't believe in uh, uh, white American privilege. He seems to think that everybody holds the hand, but yet a lot of his comments are, are, are racist and and uh, in the favor of white people. Let's go to that interview. What up, everybody? It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, we are fed up. We're angry, hurt, and tired. The country is wounded. The phrase, I can't breathe, is embedded in our minds forever. The inhumane treatment and senseless murder of George Floyd has to be the final straw. This was not the first time, but this has to be where it stops. For almost 10 years, we have been the voice of our community, working to push our culture forward, focusing on educating our listeners on entrepreneurship, real estate, mental health, education, and the importance of being politically engaged and informed. We have always had diverse guests and are open to the tough conversations. In that spirit, today we are having a candid conversation with fellow broadcaster, 
Rush Limbaugh. Why are we having this conversation with someone whose historical viewpoints differ so significantly from ours and who we represent? Because the dialogue has to be open beyond who we know or who we talk to every morning. Today, Rush's listeners will hear us, probably for the first time ever. What we are witnessing in our nation right now is not normal, and it compels our attention to understand every side and look for ways to bring this country together and stop the senseless killing of our people. So we will start with a conversation that we think might be the first step. Ladies and gentlemen, Rush Limbaugh. Every Democrat candidate for president this year has made it their business to appear on The Breakfast Club. And now it's, it's my honor to appear on The Breakfast Club, <clears throat> excuse me, even though I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> now, guys, let me, can, can, can I tell you why I wanted to – the George Floyd story is being lost. Right. There are two things happening in America, and, and it's, it, it sickens me what happened to him. Legitimate national outrage about a policeman's criminal brutality has been hijacked. And I don't want to forget about George Floyd. What, what happened to George Floyd – sickened me. And I wanted to reach out and tell you all this. I, I want to make sure you have no doubt. And I'm not the only American who feels this way. The senselessness of it. You, you know, we're only given one life. We don't get a do-over. We only get one. We all take it for granted because it, you know, it just happened. We're born. We don't even remember that. But George Floyd had his taken away from him. He didn't lose it. He had it taken away from him. In a he senseless, stupid Way And I think most Americans are just as angry and sad about this as I am. And I'm also angry the cops that stood around there and didn't do anything to stop it. It was just – I can't tell you how frustrated it is, and I just, I just wanted to share the emotion I have with you guys about mm -hmm. this and to try to convey to you that I actually think most Americans are just as sickened and outraged by it as I am. Yeah, and you know what? One of the worst things is that I feel like we're so accustomed to being in these situations where we get frustrated, where nothing happens, and these police officers are back out doing the same thing over and over again. And that's part of the frustration is this is not an isolated incident. This is something that's been happening in our community. for It hasn't stopped. We don't see when it will stop. And I think people are frustrated. And it's a combination of so many different things right now. Well, that's, I think, absolutely, absolutely right. The, if, you, if you look at the, the the actual circumstance here, you had what happened to him, it's on video. You've got right. the cop, the cop standing there almost looking like he's bragging or uh, uh, having fun exerting power. How stupid is the cop? Can the cop not be aware of what we in this country are going through precisely because of what he's doing at that moment? How can anybody be that insensitive or stupid it's beyond me to understand it almost felt like that the the more that people were telling him that he was killing him and that it was blood coming out of his nose and that he was lifeless he really felt like just looking at his face i i i think that was probably the closest thing to a devil that i've ever seen in my life it was his ego that just allowed him to keep applying pressure and applying pressure and taking that man's life i i can't let me ask you a question russ it's sure. Charlemagne talking um we, we've seen numerous police killings of unarmed black people in this country. Why is the George Floyd situation the one that's making you say enough is enough and this needs to stop? Why, why this situation in particular? Because I'm fed up with it. I'm not, I mean, I'm not tolerant of any of them. Uh, but but I'm, I'm just, I'm fed up with it, Charlemagne. None of this, see, to me, and I know, I know that you're going to disagree with me on this. Mm -hmm. To me, this is not... America. It's a it's a it's a it's a sad. Oh, no, it's definitely America. Well, see, but it's it's not what we can be. It's not what we have been. We're the greatest nation in history of the world. And we haven't achieved that on the basis for, of who, though, Russ. I, not, th I think I think that I think it's easy for you to say because you're you're a white male and that comes with a different level of privilege. And I do think America does work, but it works for the people that it was designed to work for. Doesn't work for everybody else the way it works for you. Well, it can. That's the point of America. It can for anybody who wants to adapt to it, for anybody who wants to try to take advantage of the unique opportunities that exist in the United States. We're the only nation that's ever enshrined the concept of individual liberty and freedom in our founding documents. We're the only country that's ever created a document to govern ourselves by that limits government. Now, 
Um, it, it, it's, you know, I've, look, but George Floyd wasn't doing anything wrong. Breonna Taylor got killed in her house. She wasn't doing anything wrong. And so it's not that people haven't adapted to things. It's just that we get targeted and then there's no punishment when the police officers commit these crimes against us. No, no. And then when, I, when we I, talk I about it. I, I didn't mean to conflate that George Floyd could have stopped what was going to happen to him. I'm not, don't misunderstand. Okay. There, George Floyd is the essence of innocence. What, but, but what I'm saying is, is that America is a place with robust opportunity if you want to go out and look for it and find it. Now, the people ripping up the streets today and last night, the Antifa types, they don't care to find the op. They disagree with the whole construct of America. Well, well no, I got to push back on you with that, too. It's not just the Antifa types. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you see all these white folks out there protesting, looting, raising hell. You know what I'm saying? Let's not act like there isn't 40 million people who have filed for unemployment in America. Folks been sitting around the last three months waiting on stimulus checks. More than 44 percent of, of those people have been denied unemployment checks are still waiting on them to come. People of all races are broke. They don't know where their next meal is well, coming yeah. from. Their savings are exhausted. If they had any, they don't know how they're going to pay bills. So, of course, they're going right. to go out there and loot. Of course, they're angry and frustrated. Unnecessarily, and right it turns out. Unnecessarily. There's no reason to shut down the country. There's no reason to lock everybody. Of course, you put 40 million people out of work and tell them, you know, you, you, you penalize them when they do try to open their businesses. You're going to create a powder keg. A powder keg has yeah. been created. But that's right. That's why I can't. That's why I can't. That's why I can't allow you to say that it's just Antifa out there because it is a lot of white people who are fed well, up. but the Antifa people and, are and look, and, look, look, look. The Antifa people are the violent ones. The Antifa people are the ones that are trying to capitalize on it. There, of course, there's some legitimate, heartfelt people out there peacefully protesting. But look, you guys, let me tell you, you are a testament. To the opportunity available in America. Look at you. How did you do it? What did you have to overcome to become the Breakfast Club? And what did you have to overcome to become dominant in Morning Drive and American Radio? Who held you back? Or what were you able to overcome in order to do it? The opportunity is there. Is the only thing I'm saying. Right, but you know, you talk about peacefully. You you talk about peacefully protest, right? And you were very opinionated about Colin Kaepernick, and he was peacefully protesting, right? And now people are saying, no, they're not peacefully protesting. This is the same thing Colin Kaepernick was kneeling for that the world was so upset about. And the world said he's taking it too far and he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is exactly the reason why he was kneeling and protesting. The fact that an unarmed African-American man was doing nothing. They still don't even know if he had a a fake $10 or $20 bill or not. And And that man kneeled on George Floyd for damn near nine minutes and killed that man, murdered that man. Look, and looked at us like, yeah, I'm doing it. And what? I, you guys, I'm trying to tell you, I'm all with you. I'm mm-hmm. a thousand percent with you on this. this. Is why I wanted to talk to you because I know that that there are, you know, we all have uh, preconceptions that we live under and biases that we live under. And I wanted to reach out to you guys specifically. You were, you were the ones that I was told to speak to. That that this no, is uh, intolerable. I'm, I'm happy to have the conversation. I'm glad you're having it because I think your audience needs to hear it. And you know, you, you said something a little while ago, and I want to just you know talk about that. You know, this is this is a country, America, that denies you know black people justice and just plain decency, and then they act like we're just supposed to be happy to be here because it allows a few of us to. Make when did I say that? Majority of us out here catch up. Well, you said you said. You said, you know, uh, you guys, you guys made, it. made it. Y'all are mm-hmm. successful. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but the rest of us are catching hell out here. R.I.P. No, George Floyd. No, but we no, can't wait a second. Like an isolated incident. Charlemagne, you're adding yes. things to my mouth that I didn't say. You're adding syllables oh. I have not uttered. I was trying to be complimentary of you, and I'm trying to illustrate yes. that you are an example to others that that that, 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 that want to try. You can succeed. Let me ask a quick question. If the Minnesota Vikings had announced two nights ago mm-hmm. that they were going to hire Colin Kaepernick, would the riots have stopped? No. Nobody no. gives a shit about that. <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, Colin you guys, Kaepernick what do you mean? You guys Vikings, brought man. up Kaepernick. Kaepernick. His name is Kaepernick. And Kaepernick, the reason I brought him up is he was so you guys brought up about Colin him protesting. And uh, I'm just asking if the Vikings had signed him. Would that have, would the people of Minnesota, oh, good, okay, he's got a oh, gig. You know, We're you, not going to protest. No. 
Because no. that's not going to stop white supremacy. That's not going to stop racism. Okay, we got to R.I.P. to George Floyd, but just that was not an isolated right. incident. This is a regular occurrence. Let me ask black people in this country. How and do you the powers that be don't want to change the system? Nah, how but do that's you a stop for you? You, you, I, I want to know, guys. How, how are you going to use your privilege as a white male to combat this prejudice? You, you got a direct line. I, I don't, I don't Donald buy Trump. into. No, wait a minute. I don't buy into the notion of white privilege. See, I, oh, I, I, I think that's a you're just, liberal. You're, just, you're being del- That's a that's, liberal political construct, right along the lines of of uh, uh, political correctness. It's designed to intimidate and get people to shut up and admit they're guilty of doing things Russ, they haven't done. You know, I don't have. I don't have any you know white. What, privilege. You know what white privilege is. White privilege is that what what happened to George Floyd would not have happened to a white man. If 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 what happened to George Floyd had happened to a white man, we probably wouldn't even have heard about it. Huh? You definitely would have heard about it. You definitely would have <laughs> been. You definitely would have heard about it. You definitely. If George Floyd. If George Floyd, you know, how many black and, people get killed by, Rush, by yeah, unarmed I would, black I would like to, I don't think if George jump in and say this, Rush, there's a lot of instances where this does happen and we don't hear about it. There's a lot of times that there's no video that exists and then people are. Uh, police officers lie and they say this is what happened just like we've seen it happen so many different times where fortunately there was video there's a lot of cases that won't make it that we'll never hear about that don't go viral that you never hear about that never make it to tv that never make it to social media because there is no phones what i what i said guys i said if george floyd were white we wouldn't have heard of this and if the same thing had happened to him we wouldn't have heard about it it wouldn't be you know the we would you would you Jump be just you'd be outraged, right? You tell me you wouldn't hear about it. And you know why? Because we that end? cop would have been arrested, he would have been fired, he would have been charged with murder charged. a long time before all of this. Yeah. Immediately, before before the video hit, mean, the, that, that, the, hit the social media, he would have been charged, fired, a, arrested, locked up and all that if George Floyd was white. There's, there's a there's a Muslim I think there's a Muslim officer in Minneapolis now doing twelve and a half years because he accidentally killed a, a white woman. And on duty, so I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But let me ask you a question, Russ. Because I remember in 2014, you criticized President Obama, and you said he should do more to ease racial tensions in the wake of the grand jury decisions to not indict the white police officers in Ferguson. You said if he wants to, he can inspire, and I think it's called for in this situation. Shouldn't that same advice apply to President Trump right now? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it it applies to all presidents. Absolutely. No, no question. But that's one of their roles is to calm circumstances and situations like this. But look, guys, can I ask right. you, you keep harping on white privilege and racism. Would you tell me how to end it? How, how, what what can we do to end this so that you are not frustrated and angry and and feeling like whatever you feel like? Because I hate it. I hate you guys people. were that's all one. Americans here. And I don't like officers. the fact that's that you're two. angry all well, the time. So what no, can we do okay. to stop the racism? Here's the thing, right? Um, as long as there's a system of white supremacy, you know, there will always be these type of situations. You know, it doesn't matter who's in the White House if that person is not willing to dismantle the mechanism of white supremacy. If that person is not willing to change legislation that disproportionately impacts black folks, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've seen this a million well, what, times. Okay, but tell riots, me what happened. Riots. You had four years of Barack Obama. You had you had Americans, white Americans, voting for Obama because they wanted to say we're not racist. We're we, we're not a racist country. You had people electing the first African American president in our history. That's he right. served for eight years. Why isn't there anything to show for it that makes you less once angry again, than you were then? Once again, it doesn't matter who's in the White House if that person is not willing to dismantle. The mechanism of white Come supremacy. on, guys. Elections don't matter, don't matter now. Is. I think that when you when you when we got to stop acting like white supremacy isn't done by design. The whole function of systemic racism is to marginalize black people, and it's very hard to get any damn near eighty year old white man to change a system that's been working for him and his family for years. I don't care if it's Biden or Trump. So once again, we need people that are willing to dismantle this the mechanism of white supremacy. Okay, so let, let me let me ask you. Guys, why do you still vote Democrat? I vote for whoever I think is the best candidate. Because I'm, Democrat I'm Party my, has been promising interest. to fix your grievances for 50 years, and you have the same mm-hmm. grievances, you have the same complaints. They haven't done a damn thing 
for you. They haven't even punished the people that you think are responsible for the racism and bigotry being done to you. Why do you keep supporting them? And, and, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. And I don't. I, that's why I'm not letting nobody politicize black pain and tell us that this is one person's fault just because they are trying to win an election in November. This is America's fault. And the war on drugs, mass incarceration, segregation, slavery, all of those things are and have been the proverbial knee on the back of black folks' neck. And until somebody is willing to dismantle the, the mechanism of white supremacy, nothing is going to change. Well, Rush, I also don't want to lose track of what we're talking about here because I know we're trying to focus on on George Floyd and what's happening with him and how can we take some actionable steps to move forward and what can be done, right? So on your end, what are some things that you feel like I think that cop should be charged with first-degree murder, and I think that the guys standing around ought to be charged, the other cops that were standing around. I think it's it's time to end this. Look, you... We, we, we are all aware of police brutality. We're all aware of the uh, actions that some rogue cops take, uh, and it's way too many of them, against African-American men. And it's time to stop. And the, I, you know, I'm not a policeman. I'm not an executive in a police department. But it seems to me that if those people end up being charged and, instead of yeah. shielded, uh, when they commit murder, there shouldn't be any legalized murder. And, and that would be one way. Uh, to at least get a start on making sure it doesn't happen. This George Floyd was, for everything I've been able to tell, was a good guy. He was a nice guy, had a family, and said, did not even come close to deserving having his life taken from him like Not this. at all. Not at all. Now, do and, you agree with the I, way that the media is portraying everything? You're in media, and you know, media is a white media, of course. Do you, do you agree with how they're portraying everything that's going on right now? <sighs> God, I don't. I don't think we've gotten the truth out of most media in three or four years. I. I don't know. I. It's, and I think that's another reason why people are mad. You guys, they know they've been lied to. They were lied about so many things for two, three, four years now, and so now they don't know what to believe coming out of the media. And I don't care what it is: Fox, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post. There doesn't seem to be anywhere in our culture that people have trust in an institution or series of institutions that provide a backstop and reliability when something like this happens. And I think that's creating uh, or contributing to even more of the unrest that's happening out there. Rush, how would you advise Donald Trump to to handle this situation? Because I see that he's having some issues. He's calling uh, people thugs. He's talking about sticking the dogs on people if they try to come into the White House. But then you see how he treats people who are protesting the stay at home order and they have guns and they're white people and they're fine people. So I just want to know what advice would you give to the president right now to say this is what we need to do and this is how you should handle it? Because I don't think that he's handling it properly with his verbiage. I think what the president ought to do is use the God-given humility that he has, that he that, that and don't doubt me that he does. He has he has a lot of humility. There's nothing humble about the president. Come well, on. no, there is. Even at, at every rally, you will see his his, oh, ego. his appreciation <clears throat> of the people that show up. Uh, but I, it's it's simple matter of understanding. He's president of everybody here, and trying to quell these these moments of unrest is something that would be really, really to his advantage. I think what you said about Obama in 2014 applies. When you said if he wants to, he can inspire. And I think it's called for in this situation. I, but I don't look think it, he man. wants to inspire. I think he wants to incite. What? Okay, first, I do agree with you about the inspiration. I think, I think he can. I think he should. I think all presidents uh, should. Uh, uh, in terms of Trump inciting, look, the guy has had everybody and their uncle telling lies and falsehoods about him for three and a half, four years now. And he's probably a little fed up with it. And before the shutdown happened, look at what black unemployment was. It was a record low. The number of African-Americans have had jobs. The wages are going up. And then this virus comes along and the bottom is pulled out from it. He's got to be frustrated as uh, as he can be. And I'm not trying to carry his water. Well, the, black, the black unemployment yes, rate started going down under Obama, too, though. I mean, that's that's one thing that Trump takes credit for that actually started uh, under President Obama. It did? Okay. Well, that's... Yes. Then I'll... I'll... Uh, <laughs> can, I ask you, can I ask you a question, Russ? Yeah. Uh, w- moving forward, 
right? Because, you know, the cops, let's say the cops get arrested, uh, the cop gets charged, he goes to jail, great. How do we dismantle white supremacy as a whole moving forward? Well, that's another show, guys, because A, I don't, I don't, you'd have to define what it means to you. What, what, because I don't, I don't feel like I am a white supremacist. And I don't think there's much white supremacy going on out there, but I need to have you define. See, this is one of the divides. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that to me, uh, once again, this system is designed to work for the people that it was built by. And that's white folks, particularly old white men. And now that people have had enough because those white folks I spoke about earlier who are out there, you know, who really love black people as much as they love black culture and they're out there standing with black folks and they want to fight with us. I think this is the tipping point. And we right now are at a point where we can finally force America to live up to its grand promises of liberty and justice for all and not I just liberty and justice for white folks. It has. That's my back to the beginning of the ah, program. Russ. It has. It's out there. You guys have done it. Look, we're, we're out of time here. Look, would you guys like to do this again where we pick it up right from this point and make a, maybe make not a focus if, not, on white supremacy? Not, not if we're just going to dance the whole time. If, you, if, if, you, if you're going to have some honest conversation with us and stop telling us no, things no, like white privilege Charlemagne, and you don't know what white supremacy is, if we could do that, yes. Well, Rush, I'm very not into having, having these into having these conversations because I do think it is important for white people to acknowledge the hurt that they've inflicted on the African-American community and to be able to come forward and admit that we can't even move forward until that happens. Yeah, well, that's we can, what we can I was attempting to do here with, uh, with, with all of you today. On the white supremacy thing, I'm not in any kind of denial. I just know that it's a politically charged element of the Democrat Party's politics and liberalism, and I do not cave or compromise or give one iotas of an inch to liberalism no matter what. So white white supremacy or white privilege is a construct of today's Democrat Party, and I'm not going to agree with any aspect of it as they put it forth. Uh, I'm not denying that there are certain individuals out there who think they're better than other people, but structurally, institutionally, uh, white supremacy, that's it's Russ, a construct. You, you, can't see, you can't see how white people are just treated better in this country even just as far as he how many people get that. pulled over by the you, you police officers like, like we can how, have these conversations but we got to be honest with each other like you got to you yeah, got to admit that disproportionately black people you know, are getting pulled over disproportionately up. they're getting shot no, by the cops you, you set these things up you have no idea how if and i'm i can imagine what mm -hmm. you're going to say if i sit here and say you have no idea how i have been mistreated by various elements, various groups, various companies, various individuals, my whole life. It's called <clears throat> life Russ. and it happens. And we're all mistreated. I've been fired nine times in my career. But have, have you ever got thrown out the, thrown out your car because you were driving a nice car? Have, have I you ever got just patted a, down just for being black? Yeah, I've had I'm my sure car, I've had had my car keyed. I've had my <laughs> tires blown up, no. of course. I'm talking about throwing out your car by a police officer because you're black driving a nice car or walking down the street in Queens, the area where you're from, and the police pulling you over and patting you down. Has these things happened to you? Don't talk For about no keying a car. Not, I done got shot not, at. They didn't shot up my car. Don't talk not, about keying a car and, and popping your tire. I'm talking about you're, you're police not, officers not, pulling you out no, because you're but, black. See, I'm because a hermit. He did nothing. I'm a hermit and recluse, and I don't, I don't go out and do all that kind of stuff. Right. No, that kind of stuff has never happened to me. I'll grant you. I want to ask you one more question before we get out of here. All I've never, I've people, never had the cops assume that I am. Well, actually, no, that isn't true. I have been oh, pursued. Russ, stop. <laughs> I have been pursued by the cops. I was pursued by. Absolutely, I have. But look, guys, let me thank you again for. No, no. Let me thank you again for giving me the okay. time today and having access to you and uh, at least the chance to talk to you. I do appreciate it. And maybe we can do it again. I look forward to it. Thank, thank you, Russ. I, and again, I do want to know why you think. Rest all, in peace, George all those Floyd. White, that's right. All, all those white kids out there on the front lines protesting and fighting with black people, uh, I salute them. And but why do you why do you think they're out there, Russ? Because they're fed up with what happened to George Floyd. They're fed up with this situation that will not stop, that caused all this and provided the opportunity for all this to happen. Meet the opportunity to protest and riot. There are more Americans fed up with it than you know. That's my point. What about America, though? You don't think that, that the, the fact that there's 40 million people who file for unemployment? Uh, the largest the largest unemployment rate since the Depression era? You don't think that they're fed up about that, too? Well, I already acknowledged that earlier in the conversation. You can't.
put 40 million people out of work. But I'm telling you that you have a lot of simpatico people out there. White people were marching in the 60s with Dr. King. There were, in fact, Dr. Right. King's death did not cause this kind of strife in this country. Martin, well, Martin Luther King Jr. is dead because of racism and white supremacy. Uh, well, okay. If that's your answer to everything, then I don't know how where we go. It is, though. It is. He's dead because he was fighting against racism and white supremacy. All right. That's why he's dead. Well, good thank, luck, guys. Thank you for I, I, uh, the if conversation. We can do this we again. It. We'll do it again. But this was a serious conversation, at times an uncomfortable conversation. Even though we have vastly different viewpoints from Rush, it was an open conversation to have because the dialogue must be open beyond just our community if we are ever going to get a real change from all people. This is the Breakfast Club. All right. Thank you all so much for that very informative. And actually, that's going to be a historical interview between the Breakfast Club and uh, Rush Limbaugh because they have vastly different opinions on the uh, race issues here in America. Please stand by for this brief message. Ladies and gentlemen, I actually once, <coughs> excuse me, I have my lunch in front of me. It's got some crackers on it. I to continue to support this uh, program, this podcast, and many others that's like it, ladies and gentlemen. I ask you to follow, I ask you to share, and I ask you to support financially monthly if you're able to. There are uh, links that will bring you to uh, places where you can uh, support this podcast. I also want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that if you'd like to start your own podcast or have uh, set up your own platform, Anchor uh, is definitely a way to do it. And you can do that by uh, going to uh, anchor.fm. They'll have all the necessary information that you'll need to be able to uh, start your own podcast as you heard at the uh, beginning of this show. I want to thank each and every one of you for giving me the opportunity to come to you to today with uh, today's point of view. And I believe that uh, Trevor North and as well as the uh, Breakfast Club with uh, Rush Limbaugh has offered up some very good opinions on uh, today's situation, what's going on this June uh, 4th, uh, 2020, which also happens to be the start of the uh, memorial service for uh, uh, George Floyd. And I think it's going to be going on for the uh, all three days, today, tomorrow, and the next day. So you may be able to uh, catch that uh, one of the memorial services or the funeral itself. I'm sure, I believe, one of them, the last one is going to be ending up in Houston, where he was uh, uh, born and raised. But you know me, ladies and gentlemen, again, I have to uh, do my necessary laundry my, and keep my whites white, keep my darks darks. So this copyright disclaimer of 1976 of the Fair Use Act and the Title 17 and Section 107 allowances is made for the fair use for the purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teachings, um, scholarship, and research. Fair use is permitted by the copyright statute um, that may otherwise be infringing. Listen, nonprofit, educational, or personal use tempts the balance in the favor of fair use. I want each and every one of you to have a uh, safe and a blessed day. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode to Chillin' with Teddy Jean.